Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Ethiopian's Encounter by Pastor Sean Wood. If you'd like to open your Bibles and meet me in Acts chapter 8, over, uh, Stu kicked us off last week in our Reaching Out series, and over the next three weeks, we're going to have a look at three people who were converted in Scripture. I use the word convert deliberately because uh, sometimes we can be in danger of reducing the wonderful work of God down to repeat these three lines when in fact what we read and the account of Scripture teaches us that when people encounter Christ, it transforms their whole person. Completely, radically transforms the whole person. And we're going to have a look at how that happened for three people over the next three weeks. And what we're going to see, I hope, is that there's a huge part that God plays. And we're going to see the part that those that are converted play, but also those believers also had a part to play. It's interesting how God partners with us in the work of extending his kingdom. And although we will see in the lives of three individuals over the next three weeks, we will see that each and every instance is enormously different. How it happens, when it happens, why it ha- all those things are different, but the result is the same. That a life encounters Christ and they are radically, radically converted. Today, uh, I love the account. We're going to open the account of the Ethiopian that encounters Christ. If there was anybody that should not have had an encounter with God, we're going to see today that this man should not. For, the, for those that were alive, you will know that in 1850... Yeah. Ross? <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, you, you don't really show your age. <laughs> that, that's a fact. <laughs> no. uh, in 1850, there was a place in England called Colchester. Hey, there you go, see? It does exist. <laughs> Security! <laughs> we, we found them. <laughs> but there was a little place in England called Colchester. And one Sunday morning in January, uh, it's not summer often in England in January, uh, often summer in England's like Tasmania. If, you can, if you're there for the two days that it happens, uh, then God bless you. But however, uh, this particular morning, it was particularly cold and it had snowed very heavily. And the deacon of the local Methodist church, he gets up in the morning and he's, he's debating whether he's even going to go to church. He, he'd been snowed in. He's thinking to himself, most people aren't even going to go, so maybe I'll just give this one a miss. And he says, you know what? I'm a deacon. I'm going to go. Uh, just as a FYI, for him to make it to church, he had to walk through almost knee-high snow in places for six miles. Then when he arrives at church, the pastor's been snowed in and he can't make it. And the, the congregation that day was 12 members and one visitor. The 12 members all talked amongst themselves and said, look, let's just go home. Everybody else has stayed home. The teapot's on. Let's go home. But he would hear none of it. Never preached before, but he says, you know what? We're here. We've come all this way. I'm going to. His sermon lasted 10 minutes. But the visitor that day, a 13-year-old boy, would walk to the front and was radically converted And you can read his testimony, but that man was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. 
and the rest is history. That was an encounter and it was a God appointment. Scriptures filled with God appointments. If we looked at our own lives, we would find that they are filled with God appointments. They seem like chance, they seem like coincidence, but God put your name in his appointment book. I want to take you through a God appointment today, if we can, slowly, and and have a look at what God has maybe to say to us. Uh, The English Dictionary defines an encounter as a meeting, an unexpected meeting, that takes place by chance. They're almost right. A divine encounter is a meeting, and it's often, as we will see today, an unexpected meeting, but they never happen by chance. Verse 26 of chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Who is Philip? Where are we? What's going on here when we read uh, Acts chapter 8? Philip was one of the men that was commissioned to serve the tables with Stephen. And he's just witnessed Stephen being stoned. He's just witnessed Saul throwing his coat in approval that Stephen had been martyred for the faith in, in his faith in Christ. We'll deal with Saul next week, and God spent a long time dealing with Saul after his conversion as well. But Philip, after the martyrdom of Stephen, Philip and many believers are scattered. And Philip goes to a place called Samaria. And while he's in Samaria, he starts preaching the gospel, and God accompanies the preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders. Great things happen in Samaria. And if you were Jewish in the first century, the fact that the Samaritans were receiving the word of God would be profound. Because, you know, the Jews hated the Samaritans. And it wasn't a racial thing or anything like that. It was a theological thing. Because the Samaritans, they only held to the first five books of the Bible. And and the Jews said, you've got an incomplete revelation of God. And they were right. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, you worship who you don't know. But it's a beautiful, beautiful lesson about how the gospel is for everyone. And I, I, if, you, if you swing from the rafters in Pentecostal circles for any length of time, you will understand that people are all about signs and wonders. And if we want to see God move in signs and wonders, then we need to start preaching the word. Amen. That's what the book of Acts says. Yes. Signs and wonders accompanied the preaching of the word. Mm. Philip experienced enormous fruitful ministry. And that's profound for what happens next. You see, if you read the start of Acts chapter 8, you're going to see that crowds came and many believed. And and this is what everybody wants, right? This is what we all came for. This is what ministry sounds like. Well, hang on to that for a moment because an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now, if it wasn't an angel, I'm sure Philip would have rebuked wherever this message came from. But an angel says, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. It's a desert place, all right? Nobody goes this way. It's like the north side. You don't go there unless you really have to. I've noticed everybody speaks a little bit slower as you go north, have you? Positions vacant, pastor. But isn't this counter-church culture? Isn't success in ministry measured by crowds and platforms? I love this. 
Because right in this verse right now, those two words on the back wall, God is absolutely rubber stamping those two walls. I can tell you today, we're going to see that everybody matters to God. Why? Because he will call Philip away from crowds for the one man that's wandering through the desert in a chariot. And we get caught up in revival and we have all these funny ideas of what revival looks like and, and often we think it looks like stadiums and, and super anointed preachers that wave their cream coats around and all those sort of things and gold dust and whatever else you want to imagine. But what it actually is, is a whole lot of Ethiopians searching for God and Philip's coming alongside. That's what revival looks like. Rise and go toward the south. Have you lost your marbles, Lord? Everything's going really well here. And I love how Philip helps us to define ministry today. Ministry is not defined by gathering crowds. Success in ministry is not defined by filling rooms. Success in ministry is doing what God has called you to do. Because what does Philip do? He rose and he went. Well, he didn't hold a prayer meeting? Well, he didn't ring the elders? Well, he didn't have to. They were already actually in Samaria because they came to lay hands on him that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Story for another day. And so... The call we're going to see, I hope, that what we grab today as we work our way through this story is that many of us are called to be Philip. It's not about crowds. It's not about platforms. It's not about our name on anything. It's about his name on hearts. And so an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. And for every man in the room this morning that knows what a eunuch is, then you will understand. That's the Greek. (laughs) We haven't got the time to theologically pull this apart this morning, but it's actually important for what comes after. Because he's a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. Now, Candace isn't her name. It's a title like Pharaoh. But what we know of this, what do we know about this Ethiopian? We know that he's very, very high up in Ethiopia. But how did he ever receive the message in the first place? Because he's travelled all the way from Ethiopia, we read, if we read on, a court official of Candace, Queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here we have a man all the way out the back of nowhere. But this is really interesting because he's come to Jerusalem to worship and just the fact that he's a eunuch means he's not allowed anywhere in the temple precinct at all. He can come to Jerusalem, but he's not allowed around any of the religious people because if they associate with him, they're unclean. For those that were with us on the Sunday nights when we worked our way through Ecclesiastes, if you're trying to understand Ecclesiastes 3.10 that says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of all men. This eunuch highlights what that looks like. Here's a man that says, you know what, God just makes sense and I'm trying to put all the pieces together. We're going to see how God does that for him in a moment, but uh, this man's experience of God, this man's experience of worship is when you come, you have to stay out there. And can I tell you, friends, that uh, Christianity, and only in Christianity, do you come to a person. Religion will leave you out, dry and empty, and still trying to put the pieces together by yourself. Yeah. Everything that this man knows about worship is about distance. 
But oh, how God can bring even the most distant person close. He was in charge of all her treasure and he'd come to Jerusalem to worship and he was returning, seated in his chariot, going about his way, completely unexpected what's going to happen next. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. We're about to meet a man that has a whole lot of information and no revelation. I've met people who have a whole lot of information but don't have a revelation. What Jesus told his disciples after they answered the greatest question in the universe, which is, who do you say I am? Everyone's got to answer that question, by the way. At some point or one time or another, every person in this room will answer that question. I just pray you answer it in this lifetime. And after that, he says, after Peter says, you're the son of God, And after Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, he says, I will build my church on what? On the revelation of who Jesus Christ is. I won't build my church on programs. I won't build my church on anything, all the flashy whatevers. I will build my church on the revelation of a person. An encounter with Christ is not a really good message. An encounter with Christ is not arriving at a place. An encounter is where you meet a person. Every religion on the planet paints a picture of man striving after God. In Christianity, and in Christianity alone, do we see the picture of God striving after the heart of man. It's about a relationship. I love this next part. Verse 28 again, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the Spirit said to Philip, and we need more people. We need the children of God to know what the Spirit says, not what our opinions say, not what some YouTube thing says, not what the Google internet says. We need more people that have a revelation. And can I tell you that whenever the Spirit speaks, just so we clear this up today, that whenever the Spirit speaks, it's always in line with this. Always in line with the word, not with man's opinions. So the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. We need more Philips that are willing to run up alongside people's chariots. Friends, since COVID in particular, I have noticed something. There are eunuchs everywhere. It has opened spiritual conversations much more than it had before. People are open to having spiritual conversations. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, I love this, do you understand what you are reading? And this is what Philip's actually asking the eunuch right now. Do you understand? And that word understand means, do you have an experiential knowledge of what you are reading? Now we've got I love the words of A.W. Tozer when he says we need more prophets behind the pulpit instead of scribes. Why? Because a scribe will tell you of what they learnt. They'll tell you information. A prophet will tell you of what they have seen and what they have experienced. And so just like Philip, how can we lead anybody to experience Christ if we don't experience him ourselves? Do you understand what you're reading? Have a listen to the reply from the eunuch. I love this. He said, how can I, unless someone 
guides me. And that word guide means to escort somebody. How can, how can I understand this unless somebody comes alongside me? There are people waiting for believers to come alongside. Reaching out looks simply like sitting in the chariot next to somebody saying, do you understand? Have you met Jesus? How can I unless somebody guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. I love this. We heard about a lamb this morning. Have a listen to the passage that the eunuch's reading. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. The entire Bible is filled with lamb literature. We start right back, as we heard this morning, we start right back in Genesis chapter 3. And right then we are taught a lesson when, when Adam and Eve have sinned and, and man has fallen and separated from God, immediately they try to cover their nakedness and their shame with fig leaves. And friends, you can have Giorgio Armani fig leaves and you ain't going to cover those sins and that shame. But what happens straight after that is God clothed them with the skin of an animal. And what are we learning? That there was a death and there was a price to pay to cover that shame and that nakedness. In the very next chapter, we are introduced to Cain and Abel. And what's the story of Cain and Abel? Well, Cain worked the ground and he brought an offering from the fruit of his hands. But Abel, who was a keeper of sheep, brought the firstborn of his flock. And so we see a lamb. We see uh, we see Abraham leading his son up a mountain and, and I've told my boys, if we're going for a walk up the mountain and I've got a heap of wood, you know what's coming next, right? God's been talking to me. I've had some revelation and we need to deal with some stuff. (laughs) Bible calls it worship. (laughs) But Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain and uh, something very interesting happens. Uh, What happens is that Isaac says, hey, Dad, listen, I see the wood, but where's the lamb? Abraham says... God will provide a lamb. The Bible says a ram was caught in the thicket. You see, the wonderful, beautiful truth that's painted for us in Abraham and Isaac is that once upon a time, a father led his son up a hill. God provided a way out. But many thousands of years later, our true father would lead his son up a hill. But he would be sacrificed. Filled with lamb literature. So he opens not his mouth. It goes on, verse 33, In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you? Does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip did something really spiritually profound. He opened his mouth. It is time for the church to stop being silent. It is time for us as believers to open our mouths. Stop telling the world everything that we're against. Start telling them what we're for.
Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news. The good news what? About heaven? Hey, listen, friends, please hear me. I'm going to be in heaven. But the good news isn't about a place. It's about a person. The good news isn't about how you can get rich, healthy, wealthy and wise. The good news isn't if you come to Jesus, your life's going to be rosy and everything's going to be smelling sweet from that. How many of us know that's not right? (laughs) The good news is that the greatest person in the universe wants to have a relationship with every single person. That's good news. The good news is that we couldn't bridge the gap. But Jesus did it for us. I can't wait till we pick up our Exodus series again and we come back into lamb literature again. This morning we heard about the blood. And friends, we need Jesus. We forget that. And the Passover highlights that we need Jesus because we need to understand that when God said to Pharaoh that I'm going to bring the destroyer on the firstborn, that all the Israelites ran around putting blood on their doorposts. I categorically tell you today, if there was an Israelite that forgot to put the blood on his doorposts, they'd have suffered the same as the Egyptians. So what are we told right back in Exodus? We need the lamb. We need the blood. Remember when we, last time we were in Exodus, we kind of, imagine for a moment, most of us know the Exodus story, but imagine for a moment you, you bump into an Israelite in the middle of the wilderness and here's, here's 600 odd thousand people walking through the middle of the wilderness. You say, what's up with you guys? And you pull one of them aside and he says, well, he says, we, we were in a foreign land living as an alien under the shadow of death. That would be their testimony, right? That we were in slavery and bondage and we had no hope, no way out. But under the covering of the blood of a lamb, God brought us out. And then their testimony would be, we are going to a better place. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news, the good news about Jesus. We have good news. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, good news about Jesus Christ, because it's the power of God under salvation. Told him the good news about Jesus and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. I love this because we're going to have a bit of a talk about baptism now, but I love what that speaks about because the greatest, clearest physical analogy for our relationship with God to help us understand that is marriage. And just so that we know it's about a person and not about a place, when a lady says, yes, I'm going to marry that man, she doesn't go, well, he's got a really nice house and I get to spend the rest of my life living in his house. How many of us know that the whole relationship, it's about a person, it's about I'm going to spend the rest of my life with a person, whatever that house may look like. At the haunting words of John Piper, I was reminded of them this week when he said, imagine heaven right now. Imagine what heaven looks like for you. These words are haunting, but for me, maybe for others, it's endless golf courses. Maybe for some, it's lakes filled with massive trout. Maybe it's right-hand breaks and nobody else on them. them. (laughs) But John Piper goes on to say, you imagine all you like about heaven, but if Jesus is not there, you will not be there. 
Because this is about Jesus. This is about spending eternity with a person. And here we have a man, a eunuch, that nobody else wants to associate with. He's come to Jerusalem and nobody wants to be around him because they'll be unclean. Nobody wants to talk to this guy, but he's coming and he's looking and he's searching and he's worshipping. And unexpectedly, somebody runs up alongside his chariot and he's introduced to a person. And he says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? Today, what prevents us from saying yes to God? You see, baptism, what is baptism? Baptism is when you stand before family, when you stand before friends, when you stand before everybody and you publicly announce that something transformational has happened on the inside and you go through a ceremony which represents that and it speaks of a wonderful transaction that's happened on the inside and you're announcing to the world. That's the same as marriage. The two people, male and female, it's always male and female. Please, in the name of Jesus, it's always male and female. They fall in love and they begin, they begin dating and they become engaged and, and they go through all that process and then there comes a point in time when they stand before everybody and they say, from this point onwards I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person, there's no going back and I'm fully committed. That's what baptism is. And so what this eunuch is saying right now is, what is preventing me from standing at the altar and saying, I'm in Jesus And there are far too many people that have been dating Jesus for far too long. And Jesus is waiting for you to walk down the aisle and say, I do. And you might be the eunuch this morning. And you might be sitting here going, you know what, I'm trying to make sense of all this God stuff, but I need somebody to guide me. You might be Philip this morning who God's calling to come alongside. I want to finish with a story that I haven't told all too often. But when I was young, three or four years ago, everybody said amen. When I was young, I was going through a very tumultuous period in my life. And I won, my wife will tell you, I won a, a bike uh, at the school I was going to. And I used to ride that bike everywhere. Uh, I used to like riding the bike because it got me out of the house. And I can remember one day, Tasmania's, uh, in Tasmania when you ride a bike, you're either going uphill or downhill. There's no flats. <laughs> and I remember riding uphill this one particular day and unexpectedly a man from the other side of the road yells out, I don't believe in them. And I'm thinking, here's another one. Where did this guy come from? These Tasmanians are weird. But I just kept writing. But he yelled out again, I don't believe in them. So, at that point in time, it had just become law that you had to wear a helmet when, uh, when you were in Tasmania. And so it got the better of me. So I get off my bike and I went across the road. And I said to this guy, I said, what are you on about? And he said, I don't believe in the fact that you have to wear helmets. And I'm thinking, okay, good for you. And 
He said, hello, Sean, my name's Greg. And it didn't dawn on me till later, I didn't even tell him what my name was. And I began to have a conversation with this Greg guy. And he asked me a question, he says, do you believe in God? And I said, well, I'm only young, right? I said, well, God's always made sense, but I had no idea who he was. And I needed a fill-in, Right? And over the next course of not only weeks but months, that man met me every morning when I was doing my paper round at four o'clock in the morning and he would help me roll papers and he told me the gospel. And he shared the truth of the gospel with me. Every morning for weeks. And then one morning he wasn't there. And the next morning he wasn't there. And the morning after that, he wasn't there. So it got the better of me. And I went to the local shop and I went around asking people. They said, we don't even know who you're talking about. All I know was there was a point in my life when I was that eunuch. And I needed a Philip. I needed somebody to say yes to God and to come alongside me and help me deliver papers. I can't tell you how poignant it was that I met that person at that point in time and it was only months later that I would find myself in the house of an angel. And that lady showed me the love of Christ. And But the beginning of my journey is way back when a man was helping me with my paper round. Sometimes we think reaching out means we've got to fill stadiums and all this sort of stuff. When God calls us, sometimes just to come alongside somebody and help them deliver the papers. And slowly, over a period of time, I was introduced to the most awesome, glorious person in the universe. And I don't care what any other crackpot out there says, I've experienced something on the inside. And I didn't experience rules, and I didn't experience regulations, and I didn't experience smoke and mirrors and pomp and ceremony. I experienced a person. And that's available to every person in this room today. And you might be sitting here saying, well, you know what, I've been in love with Jesus for many years. What prevents you today from reaching out? What prevents you from starting a conversation with your neighbour? What prevents you from yelling something stupid at some kid riding his bike up the hill. Don't do that, please. (laughs) But I'm convinced that the world's full of Ethiopian eunuchs that are waiting for believers to come alongside and say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Maybe you're the eunuch today. I pray you don't leave here without being introduced to the most glorious person in the universe. And as we come to the end of the Ethiopian's journey, what happens now is Philip finds himself in a... Just like that, the spirit, it says, carried him away to a place called Azotus, 20 miles away. Philip goes from Azotus to a place called Caesarea. This is important for what's coming because in a couple of weeks we're going to find ourselves in Caesarea... Philip's in Caesarea, but God gets Peter to come from the back of nowhere to talk to a Roman centurion. 
And the reason is God's doing as big a work in Peter as he is in the centurion when we get there. And what, what we know of Philip is he goes through the towns all the way to Caesarea preaching the gospel and the Ethiopian goes home. But he encountered Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray you have called every one of us in this room to be Philip's. Open our eyes, O oh God, I pray. Open our eyes to those sitting in the chariot waiting for them to be guided to the person, Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord, I pray. Open our eyes, Lord God. I pray for a fire that would burn in each of our hearts, but I pray for the eunuchs today. And there are eunuchs sitting in this room. God's always made sense. Maybe they even think they're worshipping God, but they've just realised, I haven't met the person, Jesus Christ. I pray for every eunuch, Father, that they would have their eyes open to Jesus. Use us to make him known, I pray. Show your glory through each of us, I pray. In your wonderful name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.